0: We're going to continue uh, the new series that Pastor started last Sunday, uh, entitled Enemies of the Heart. And uh, this morning, uh, we are going to take the step after um, what Pastor said. In this series, we're going to be looking at four things that can clog the arteries of our spiritual hearts. And and as we're here together, I, I just really want to challenge you. I think one of the most difficult things to do as a Christian is we can get so caught up in our masks. And, and that's maybe a little bit easier to understand today than ever before, right? Since we've spent the last year wearing masks. But it's so easy to put a mask on. And we come to church or we go to work or we're around home with our families and, and we can look on the outside like everything is fine. But the challenge is that, that we don't only need to worry about and think about what we look on, like on the outside. Because the truth is, the most important part of us, especially in our relationship with God, is what's happening in our spiritual hearts, right? And, and that's the, the challenge is that's the part of us nobody but God can see. And so it's really easy to, to kind of hide our emotions and hide the challenges that we face. And this morning, we're going to talk about anger, which is not necessarily a fun one to talk about, if I'm honest. This isn't necessarily fun, flowery this morning, but... I want to challenge you, in a, in a service like this, in a message like this, you're only going to get out of it as much as you're willing to put in, right? If you aren't willing to listen to what God is trying to say to you, if you aren't willing to take an honest look at your heart, you'll probably walk away and say, huh, that was kind of okay, and you know, hopefully he was a little funny, uh, but, but that's not the point today, The point is, I I want each one of us to hear from God as we honestly take a look at our own hearts because that's the problem. God wants us to flourish in our lives. He wants to flourish in our relationship with him. He wants to have a healthy relationship with each one of us. And not only is it important for us to take care of our bodies, to to get a physical heart checked out, right? To make sure everything is functioning normally, that there aren't any physical clogs in the arteries of our heart. It's also important that we take the opportunity to examine our spiritual heart, our, our relationship with God. Is there anything in our hearts that is clogging us, that is keeping us from being all that God created us to be? Is there anything in our hearts that's, that's damaging our ability to be who and what God has called us to be? Because without realizing it, there are things that can build up in our hearts and keep us from thriving. And the thing about a heart is when it isn't functioning, it affects the whole body, right? And the same thing goes in our spiritual hearts as well. When there are things that clog up our spiritual hearts, our, our bodies don't function. We don't uh, respond to people the same way. We don't respond to the challenges of life uh, in the same way when our spiritual heart is clogged and not functioning. So, this morning we're going to take a look at anger. Last week, Pastor talked about guilt, I owe you. And this Sunday, we're going to look at anger. And we're going to focus on you owe me, and I'll explain that soon. But let's pray together this morning, will we? Jesus, I'm so thankful, Lord, that we have the privilege to be here today in your house. Lord, I just pray that you would take this simple message and simple messenger, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts, Lord. Help us to be willing to look honestly at ourselves today. And I pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to each and every one of us. And Lord, if there are any issues, no matter how big or how small, that are hindering our relationship with you, Lord, would you, would you show us today? Would you speak to our hearts? And Lord, not only that, would you touch our hearts today? Would you begin the healing that only you can bring? In Jesus' name, amen. There's a day... Uh, in my life that I'll never forget. We all have days like that, don't we, in our stories? Days that kind of uh, change things and teach us things. Uh, I think I've told you about one of them before in a sermon, but uh, there was another time when I was a junior in high school, and uh, I don't know if those of you who know me, I, I like football just a little bit, uh, in case, you, you know, probably makes sense, looking at me, right, I played a little football. And uh, we, my dad was pastoring a church in Lewiston, Idaho. And uh, Lewiston, the, the Bengals, I was a Bengal from way back, and at that point, we were number one in the state, which was really cool, right? And especially when you're 17 and you're in high school, that felt like we were about to win the Super Bowl, right? I mean, that was huge. And so we were super excited, and we were traveling clear down to Boise, Idaho to take on, I think it was the Boise Braves, and we had the opportunity to play at Boise State University, you know, out on the famous Smurf turf and all that stuff so we were pumped. We were so excited. And so mom and dad took the day off from from work at the church so they could make the five and a half hour drive down to Boise to watch us play in the big game. And and it was exciting. I mean, it came down to like the last play of the game and it was one of those where the clock rang and we scored and everybody was celebrating and going all over the place and it was amazing. The plan was that I was going to ride home with mom and dad because they'd driven all the way down there and but man, we were so excited because we just won that big game uh, that I just wanted to be with my buddies, right? I just wanted to celebrate and just soak it all in. And so I jumped on the bus and mom and dad started home and I thought that they were just gonna be right behind the bus and I'd step off the bus and, and there they were. But what I didn't know is dad got tired about two o'clock in the morning. And uh, I know it's hard to even understand a, a world without cell phones, right? But that was the world, right? And they were in the middle of Idaho on one of the back little highways. There were not even any rest areas or, or uh, pay phones or anything. It was just kind of a wide spot where the trucks would pull off. And I think there was some kind of view area there or something. Uh, no bathrooms or anything, just a really remote place. And uh, they pulled over so he could sleep for a bit. Well, in the middle of that, he, he, he felt something weird going on and felt nauseated and was trying to get out of the car because he felt like he needed fresh air. And his commotion and moving around and trying frantically to open the door woke my mom up. And she woke up just in time to see his heart stop. And, you know, he did the flop over there right there behind the steering wheel in the car. And my mom isn't very big. And she didn't know what to do, isolated there all by herself. She, she just kind of <laughs> tried to wake him up and begin to pray and seek God because she didn't know what else to do. She couldn't get him to respond. And she doesn't remember how long it was. She feels like it was five or six minutes that she just cried out to God, hoping desperately that something would happen. And she looked back through the back window of the car, and she saw a semi-truck parked there, probably a couple hundred yards back there in the dark. And because she was desperate and didn't know what else to do, she left Dad sitting there and, and made her way back there. And, of course, it was a, a guy with a secured load, right, in the middle of the night. Uh, so he was probably kind of jumpy when somebody started pounding on his door at the middle of the night. And she quickly told him this story after he woke up about her husband dying in, in the car. And, and, and naturally, as soon as he opened the door and his foot hit the ground, Dad got up out of the car and was leaning on the roof. So instantly, Mom was terrified, right? Here's this armed truck driver that she just said, my husband's died in the car, and there he is standing there. And uh, But he, he believed her story, and they walked over there, and of course, uh, that, that's pretty miraculous, right? I mean, hearts just don't restart. So let's pause there for a second and say, wow, right? That's pretty cool that God brought him back to life. That's pretty amazing. And so... They made it to the car, and even though he was alive, he was super weak. And so they were able to get him into the back seat. Of course, the, the, the semi-driver didn't even have anyone to call, and so he said, I'll, I'll follow you back into town to make sure she got back into town safe, and if something else happened, he could call for help. And uh, just a little side note, which is amazing on this story, the way God works, right? In the church that we pastored, or my dad pastored, Uh, There was a little retired pastor couple, and they had a son that had turned his back on God and left his family and been running (laughs) for a long time. And he just happened, right, to be the truck driver on the side of the road that night that saw dad get raised from the dead. Isn't that pretty cool? And he ended up obviously coming back to the Lord and getting back with his family. And (laughs) to me, sorry, it's hard not to tell that part of the story, Uh, but God is good. And, and they, they got back, obviously, a few hours late, and as soon as I saw Mom driving up, I told the coaches just to leave me because I, I, I knew Mom and Dad would be there eventually. But I could feel something was going on, and so I didn't know what else to do but, but pray. And so I remember walking out in the middle of the football field on the 50-yard line just kind of sitting there and praying and waiting to see the car drive up. Finally, I saw it, but when I saw it was Mom and I didn't see Dad, I knew something was wrong. And um, so we rushed him to the hospital, and he's hes the type of guy that always had the smile and everything looks fine, right? So they come out to get him, and he's in the wheelchair trying to look okay, and and the mom told him the story, and of course, they didn't believe him because hearts don't just start by themselves. It's not possible. And so it was probably three o'clock in the morning in the little hospital in Lewiston, and they weren't really taking it very seriously. And so I remember sitting there in the in the room, and I'm holding dad's hand and talking to him, and... And uh, mom's at the foot of the bed with the doctor, and she's just kind of telling him the telling him the story, and he's like rolling his eyes, like okay, whatever, and he's fine now. And and then he squeezed my hand. He said, "Scott, it's happening again. I can feel it." And then he just he died right there again. And all of a sudden, all the alarms go off, and people are running from everywhere. And all of a sudden, uh, they they maybe they should believe mom's story, right? And it took seven times that night that they had to restart his heart with those with those paddles and. They ended up having to put a pacemaker in. And it actually wasn't his heart. It turned out to be the signal from his brain to his heart to tell his heart to beat. And so his heart, it wasn't a heart attack like his, the muscle, but it was like his heart would just stop. But uh, the long story short, the next few months were kind of a challenge, right? Uh, but God is faithful. And I'll never forget a Sunday morning when they prayed for Dad. And from that Sunday morning on, he never had that issue again. And in fact, the doctors were always amazed because that pacemaker that they gave in the battery ended up lasting for 20 years, right? Because it didn't ever have to do anything. It was just kind of there. But I tell you all that story because we're talking about the heart today, right? And when the heart isn't functioning, the whole body suffers, right? When something goes wrong with our hearts, our spiritual heart, it affects our whole lives, right? And that's why it's important to examine our hearts and make sure that there aren't things in our lives that keep us from being who God called us to be. But here's the good part and why I wanted to tell that story. Because God is a God that heals hearts, right? And if you have something in your spiritual heart that that needs to be touched, that that our God today is is the same God that can reach down and touch you today, Right, And that's why I want you to be open to what we're going to talk about today because we serve a miracle-working God. God is in the business of healing hearts. So there are four enemies that are fighting for the control of our hearts that we're looking at over these four weeks. And we're going to be talking about the most obvious and maybe the most dangerous one today, which is anger. When we allow our anger to be unchecked and unleashed, It can just be devastating to our families, to our friends, to our relationship when we allow our emotions and our anger to to have its way. And so anger can be devastating. And so this morning, we're going to look at anger this way. Anger says, you owe me. In other words, you hurt me. You took something away from me. Because of what you did to me, I lost something. Right, And we hold that hurt and that anger against someone. And we look back on that moment when we were hurt and damaged. And we look at that person and say, you owe me for what you did to me. You should have to pay for what you did because you hurt me. But the only remedy truly to anger is forgiveness. And so this morning, I want to focus on the power of forgiveness, and as we struggle with our anger, we need to develop a habit of forgiveness because that is the only way we can truly overcome the damage that anger can do in our lives. But, but there will be a lot of confusion this morning, and so we want to go into forgiveness a little bit. What does it really mean to forgive? There's so many different ideas and thought about what forgiveness really means. And there are really three groups of people. The first group, they believe that they ought to forgive, but they can't really find the courage to really do it. However they were hurt or whatever they went through is just so painful that they don't feel like they have the courage to really even make an attempt to forgive and move on. The second group feels that they would be letting the offender off the hook. Right? How can I let them be free? They need to be punished for what they did to me. And we struggle with forgiveness because they deserve all the punishment they can get. The third group claims to have gone through the motions of forgiveness. But every time something happens in my story, all those memories flood back. And I remember all the hurt and the pain, and I remember those moments. And then I begin to question if I ever really forgave in the first place. Because every time those memories begin to roll through my mind, I don't feel like I've really forgiven. So this morning, I want to start in the book of Ephesians with, if you will, turn with me here and uh, Ephesians chapter four, and we're going to look at verses thirty-one and thirty-two. Hopefully, you have your Bibles with me with you this morning, or you can uh, open up the Bible app. If you're watching online, uh, on our website, there is a notes feature that you can also take notes along with me this morning. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31. And Paul gives us uh, what peer, appears to be kind of an unreasonable demand when we read it, right? For, for those of us who have been hurt and those of us who have had some pain, At the first time we read this, it's like, wow, that doesn't really seem possible. Think of it. It says, says, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. So Paul tells us to just get rid of it. But how do we get rid of an emotion, right? How how do we get rid of the the pain and, and the hurt that feels so real all the time? The Greek word translated here, get rid of, really means to remove or to separate yourself from it. And Paul is saying you you need to remove yourself or separate yourself from all of those hurts and all of those pains, from whatever that hurt was. Did you notice the word all, right? He's not talking about some of the hurt or some of the pain or some of the bitterness, but he's challenging us to remove all of it. And I don't know about you, but, but in my hurt and pain and my, the challenges that I feel, it looks like a, a, an impossible task. Yet Paul lists every relational wedge you can think of, right? Bitterness and rage and anger and harsh words and slander. We need to get rid of all of those things. So in other words, whatever negative emotion you're holding on to, you need to get rid of it. And I don't know about you, but my first reaction is like, no, wait a minute, Paul. You lived a long time ago. I don't know if you're really understanding where, where I am today. You, you, you don't really understand how bad that person hurt me. You don't really understand how, how painful that was, the words that they said or the things that they did to me. You don't really understand how much I hurt They owe me. (laughs) They should have to pay for what they did to me. And we hang on to that anger and that bitterness. And we hold on to that hurt and allow the pain and and bitterness to grow in our hearts. And we think about that person. We think, you you owe me for what you did to me. Paul, you just don't understand what I've been through. You simply can't expect me to just let it go. But then I take a a step back, once I get over my little attitude, right, I take a step back and then I remember. You see, Paul didn't just write these words sitting on a beach in Florida somewhere under a palm tree, right? Paul was in prison, you know, he wrote these words and was capable of writing these words In, in the middle of his circumstances. He had been forced away from his home, arrested unjustly, and exiled in Rome. He'd been awaiting trial for more than a year in this prison cell. And yet, in spite of all the shipwrecks and beatings and stonings and all the things that he went through, he was able to say, the only way to overcome it is to let all of it go, to not hold on to it. So how can we get rid of our anger when your anger simply is a justified response to something terrible that happened that was out of your control? The bottom line is we can feel like a victim, right? We are victimized. And so the pain and hurt begin to create this wall of excuses, and we hide behind them, and that's why it's so easy to kind of tuck it away deep down inside, and we hope that nobody really notices how angry That we are. We try and hide our bitterness, hoping that nobody can really see what it looks like on the inside. So, what did Paul know that we don't? I want to look differently at the verse that comes next, verse 32. He says, Instead, right? Remember, he's saying, Let go of all these things. Here's what you need to do instead. He said, Instead, be kind to each other, tender hearted. Forgiving one another, just as God, through Christ Jesus, forgave you. There it is. You see, he gave us the answer. Forgiveness is how we're able to do away with our anger. Forgiveness is how we're able to let go of that pain without allowing bitterness and and all of those emotions eat at our hearts. But we don't stop here. He talks of forgiveness in a way that should cause us to stop and think. Because we need to look at the phrase, just as. Just as. It's only a couple little words. But but when you think about what he's trying to say to us, it's powerful. I'm thankful that I don't get from God what I deserve. Because the just as that connects it... (laughs) Challenges us to forgive others just as Jesus forgave me. Think about that. That that kind of changes the perspective of forgiveness, doesn't it? Because I don't know about you. I I don't deserve what Jesus did for me. I I don't deserve the pain and agony that he suffered. A, A sinless man, right, allowing himself to hang on a cross for me. That's the kind of of forgiveness he offered us. And I think sometimes the longer we're Christians, we lose touch with where Jesus really found us. It's really easy to forget those emotions of what it felt like to be forgiven the first time when we really felt Jesus touch my heart. When I really experienced his love and forgiveness for me. That, that was a life-changing experience. What it felt like to be free. And that's, that's the measuring stick. Excuse me, I don't want to knock that over. I move a little bit. I try it. Try I'm kind of like a bull in a china closet, you know. But it's so easy to forget what Jesus did for us. Just as, right? Because I'm thankful that deserve has nothing to do with Jesus. So just as is powerful. When I think about the pain and the things that the people have done to me, the hurts and the pain, as a believer, as someone who has been forgiven, as someone who knows what it feels like to be forgiven for something that they don't deserve to be forgiven for, that's really what forgiveness is all about. Forgiveness that Jesus gave was different because he didn't give me what I deserved. I deserved punishment. He didn't give me punishment. He gave me love. He gave me sacrifice. That's not what I deserved. Forgiveness is the key. And I want you to turn with me to Matthew chapter eighteen this morning, and we're going to look at a, a an interesting exchange that Jesus had with Peter. And I, I like Peter. He, he's such an interesting guy. I, he makes me feel okay. Right. Because he, he was interesting. Uh, he was powerful, yet at the same time, uh, he was weak at times, right? And uh, so here, Jesus teaches an important lesson on forgiveness. And and this is a time we see Peter trying to figure some things out. And, and it's interesting because he's kind of growing in his confidence a little bit uh, with Jesus. And, and the way my imagination, I don't know if you know, I, I kind of have a, a big imagination, and, and I can just picture this moment where where Peter has this opportunity. He's feeling pretty good about where he's at, right? He's starting to get it, and the light's coming on, and he feels like he's really growing, right, in his faith. And so so he has the opportunity, and he grabs Jesus and pulls him to the side. And uh, he, I, I think in his mind, he's thinking, I'm really going to impress Jesus, right? So he, he starts talking to Jesus about forgiveness, and he asks this question. It says... Uh, in verse uh, 21 of Matthew 18, it says, Then Peter came to him and asked, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Right? He's uh, he's asking about forgiveness. How many times should I forgive? And, and he says seven times, right? And so that, to me, this is Peter trying to really impress. I'm going to go for it, right? I'm sure there were times in, in Peter's early life looking at his kind of anger issues, right? that he probably would have been proud to say, should I forgive him one or two times, right? But now he's really trying to stretch and, and impress Jesus, right? Should I forgive him seven times? And, and I love Jesus' response to Peter, because he always believes so much in Peter, even though Peter always fell short, it seemed. I, I just kind of see it as Jesus listening to him, and, and, and I just kind of see as Jesus kind of puts a hand on Peter's shoulder, right, and looks him right in the eye. And because Peter probably misunderstood what forgiveness really was. He, it's like he saw forgiveness as a gift to the offender. I'm going to do something generous to this person who offended me. And if we're honest, that's probably what a lot of people think about forgiveness. That we're giving them a gift. But, but that's not what Jesus sees when he thinks of forgiveness. And so he puts his hand on Peter's shoulder and looks him in the eye and says, no not seven times, Jesus replied, but 70 times seven. So in other words, Peter, you're on the right track, right? But you, but you still have some growing to do. And Jesus re- launched right into one of his famous stories, right, to try and illustrate. And so I want to take a couple minutes and look at that story this morning. It begins in verse 23 of chapter 18. And I'm just going to read it. It says, therefore, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with his servants who had borrowed money from him. In the process, one of his debtors was brought in who owed him millions of dollars. He owed him a little bit of money, right? Verse 25, who couldn't pay. He didn't have the money. So his master ordered that he be sold along with his wife and children and everything he owned to pay the debt. Ouch, right? Verse 26, but the man fell down before his master and begged him, please be patient with me and I'll pay it all. Then his master was filled with pity for him and he released him and forgave his debt. I'm, I'm so thankful. I love the parables of Jesus because he tries to put really complicated stuff into everyday stories that, that we can wrap our minds around, Right? And Jesus is trying to teach Peter about forgiveness. And his story really takes the mystery out of it. Forgiveness is the decision to cancel a debt. That's really what the master did, right? He, he, the, the servant had a debt that he couldn't pay. It was millions of dollars. There was no way he could probably repay that in his lifetime. And when he begged him, the master had compassion. And for didn't put him on an installment plan, Right? Didn't say, well, if you pay this much a month, then I'll only sell one of your children, right? I mean, he didn't do anything like that. He just had compassion. And he forgave the whole debt, wiped it totally away. And when someone hurts you, they feel like they've taken something from me, like, like there's a debt that's incurred. They owe me something because of what they did to me. And the servant in the story had a debt that was impossible to repay. But because of that compassion, he was forgiven. And so the, the principle that, that Jesus was trying to show is to, for, the, the master, forgo, forgo, let go, forgo. He let go his right, okay? <laughs> he put it down. He let go of his right to be paid back. And because of his compassion, he said, you know what? It's gone. It's like it never happened. I'm, I'm going to erase the ledger. It's clean. You don't owe me Anything. And that's what forgiveness really is. It's a decision to cancel a debt. And isn't that exactly what Jesus did for us? Right? He didn't ask me to pay back what I owed. What I owed him and what I deserved was so much bigger than I could ever pay. There wasn't enough punishment to give me for what I deserved. Yet Jesus canceled my debt. And that's the type of forgiveness that that he wants us to learn, that he's trying to teach Peter about. Let's look at what happened next. In verse 28, when the man left the king, he went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars. Think of the difference, right? It went from millions of dollars to thousands of dollars. And he grabbed him by the throat and demanded instant payment right that moment. Verse 29, his fellow servant fell down before him and begged for a little more time. Isn't it interesting that he did, the, the one that owed him money did exactly the same thing that he had done to the king, right? He fell on his knees and he begged for more time. Be patient and I will pay, he pleaded. But his creditor wouldn't wait. And he had the man arrested and put in prison until the debt could be paid in full. Wow. Can you imagine? See, this is what it means to be disconnected from what has happened to us, right? And when I read that story, I think of how many Christians have experienced amazing forgiveness of God, right? Right? the cancellation of debt, and yet they hold on to these little things that people have done to them throughout their lifetime, and they allow themselves to be consumed with bitterness and rage because they feel like they are owed something because of what happened. Think about from God's perspective, right? He forgave us. He's the king, right? He forgave us. And because we've experienced that forgiveness, we need to be, be willing to forgive as well. The servant still wanted payment, even though he had been forgiven. Verse 31, When some of the other servants saw this, they were very upset. And they went to the king and told him everything that had happened. Then the king called in the man who he had forgiven and said, evil, You evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant? Just that I had mercy on you? Then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he had paid his entire debt. That's what my heavenly father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. Ouch. <laughs> okay, remember who's telling the story, right? This is Jesus' story. And if he's going to say something like that, then I think forgiveness is fairly important. Right In other words, he doesn't want us. He wants us to forgive and to learn to forgive because we've been forgiven. right? He wants us to learn as believers, as sons and daughters of him, to give to the people around us the same measure that he gave to us. We're, we're part of his family, right? We're his kids. And when we treat people around us, we, there ought to be a, a bit of a family resemblance, right. Our lives ought to represent what he's done, right? If he's really our father and our heart is right with him, then the way that we treat people ought to represent the family a little bit, right? They ought to be able to look at us and say, oh, they're definitely a son or daughter of the king, right? I couldn't do that, but wow, you can see that there's something real happening there, right? We need to learn to forgive the way God forgave us. So obviously, quickly, the king in the story is God. The forgiven servant represents all of us because we've all been forgiven. And wouldn't you know it, the second service represents everybody that we are holding resentment against. Right? And that's why it's so important to be honest with ourselves and honest with our heart. So I want to go back quickly to Ephesians 4.32. Now that we've talked through that part. Instead, be kind to each other. Tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God, through Christ Jesus, has forgiven you. Makes a little more sense, right? Sounded kind of crazy at first. Paul, how can you expect me to treat those people nice who have been so mean to me and hurt me so bad? It's through the lens of forgiveness. We can forgive not because they deserve it. It has nothing to do with deserve, right? Right? Just like true forgiveness has no, that God gave us has nothing to do with what I deserve. I didn't deserve to be forgiven. And, and those people that have hurt you, they, they may not deserve to be forgiven. But using God's standard instead of ours, deserve has nothing to do with it. And if we can learn to, to give those things over, then, then God can truly allow us to be kind to each other and tenderhearted, forgiving one another just as he forgave us. That's what true forgiveness looks like. So where do we go from here? I want to conclude with with four phases of forgiveness, four steps to real forgiveness. So you might want to write these down if you have something to to take notes, notes with today. You see, in light of my hurt, forgiveness feels like a decision to reward my enemy, right? It it doesn't feel natural to us because they legitimately hurt us. I, I remember those things. I feel those things. Every time something happens that triggers those memories, the pain is still there. And it doesn't feel right that they should get off easy, right? And so we hold on to those things. And so it feels like a decision to reward them. But in light of what Jesus did for us, forgiveness is really a gift from one undeserving person to another. We're not saying that they don't deserve to be punished. That's not what this is. They're saying, I'm undeserving, and God forgave me. And they're undeserving, and I'm going to forgive them too. Right? That's what true forgiveness is. Forgiveness is the gift that ensures my freedom from a prison of bitterness and resentment because when we hold on on to those things and those hurts and that pain, the reality is they don't get hurt, right? It doesn't do any damage to them when we hold on to bitterness and let us eat us up like a cancer from the inside. We are the ones that get damaged, Right, it clogs up our spiritual hearts. We don't function. Our relationship with, with God and our relationship with other people get damaged when that bitterness clogs up our hearts. And God wants us to be free. He wants us to, to flourish. The kind of forgiveness Paul is talking about doesn't make sense unless you know what it feels like to be forgiven. It doesn't make sense out of, outside of Jesus. To let somebody off the hook doesn't make sense until you look at it from what Jesus did for me and what Jesus did for you. And I'm so thankful that I know what it feels like to be forgiven. So the four phases to complete the cycle of forgiveness. Number one, we need to identify who you're angry with. Now that might seem kind of simple and silly, right? But if you really want to unclog your heart and fix all of those things, you need to let go of all of it, right? Not just some of it, not just a surface kind of. You're forgiven, right? And I'm going to move on with my life. No, that's not what what we're talking about at all. I, I would I would take out a pen and a paper, or open up a, a notes and start writing down stuff. And I would. I, it's not a fun process to go through. But I would begin to write uh, down all of those names because forgiveness is more than just a decision to move on with your life and forget the past. Trying to forget a debt is the same as canceling it. We're we're canceling it. But we need to remember who so that we can remember the why, right? So I want to challenge you. Sit down, think over your life. What What are your biggest hurts? And just begin to make a list. And it it may be painful. It may be hard, right? But we're talking about removing some painful stuff for your life. It's like doing heart surgery, right? It's it's not going to be easy. There's going to be some hit and miss moments, right, that feel really risky. But if you're really going to forgive, then you need to identify the people who have hurt you. Start a list of everyone you can think of. Go back as back as far as you can, friends and families and coworkers and students and bosses and whoever, right? Start a list, because you need to process it fully, to really forgive. I know it's no fun, but it's important, because you're purging your heart, right? You're trying to get rid of all that poison. You're trying to get rid of all that, ba- that built-up bitterness and, and anger in your heart, so that you can be free. So number one is identify who you're angry with. Number two is determine what they owe you. Now, this is a step that a lot of people skip. And because of that, there's some type of uh, general forgiveness they give. I I forgive you all, right? But that's not what he's talking about either, right? He's talking about a specific thing. One of the things that's important to realize about the story that Jesus told is he he forgave a specific amount of money, right? Right? He knew exactly to the penny what that servant owed. And if we are truly going to forgive, as painful and hard as it is, we need, to, we need to figure out, what did this cost me? What did, what did I lose? What was taken away from me because of this? Because until you can really fully digest all of it, you you may leave some bits and pieces around that are still doing damage to your heart, right? So if you really want to get rid of it all, you really need to go through the hard process of saying, what did it cost me? What do they owe me? And just as the king forgave that exact amount, you need to be able to let it all go. If you only let part of it go, then you're not really going to be free from it. It'll still fester inside of you. See, you know what he did? You know what they did to you, but what exactly did he take from you? What did you lose because of it? What do you feel like they owe you? That's an important step. Number three, and this might be one of the harder ones too. I guess they're all kind of hard, right? We're talking about some deep stuff. Is We need to cancel the debt. After identifying exactly what was taken, you need to cancel the debt. That means deciding that the the offending party, the person that hurts you, doesn't owe you anything anymore. Just like the king, he didn't set up an installment plan. Right? He said that the, the millions of dollars just is gone, as if you never borrowed any money from me. Just as Jesus canceled your sin debt, you and I need to cancel the debts of others who have injured us. When you compare it to what he has done for us, it kind of changes the perspective, right? He canceled my debt. He paid a debt for me on a cross that that I did not deserve. And that's what we're talking about. These people that have hurt you, they may not deserve what you're going to give them. But deserve has nothing to do with it. And you have to drop it. You have to drop the debt. The fourth one is we have to dismiss the case, right? We have to dismiss it. We have to let it go. The final process centers on the daily decision to not reopen the case. And if we're honest, we really know what that means, right? We've forgiven them, but every time something else happens, another argument happens, all of a sudden that same old thing pops back up again, right? And as soon as you want to hurt them or get back at them, you you want to grab that old injury or that old hurt and and slap at, it, at them with it again, right? It's like, kind of like a big stick on the ground, that hurt, right? And every time they hurt you or there's a, an argument, you want to pick that old thing up and hit them with it again. But what canceling the debt is, is, is you may still remember it, right? I, I would love to say that forgive and forget is a real thing. But... Uh, we all remember, don't we? We remember they were painful moments in our lives that are impossible to forget. It's, it's impossible to forgive and forget. But when we truly drop the charges, when we make the decision every day to leave it in the past, and, and and when another opportunity comes or something else reminds us and it brings us back to that moment in our mind, we have a choice to make. Am I going to leave it there on the ground? Or am I gonna pick it up again? And that's what canceling the debt really means and dropping the charges. I may remember it, but I'm making a decision, I'm not gonna pick it up again. That that's what forgiveness really is. See, I'm thankful that Jesus forgave me that way. I think the biggest challenge is our memories. But I think you have to remember that your memory is not your enemy, right? Memories are simply memories, right? Only, they only have as much power over us as, if, as we give them. It's what you choose to do with your memories that matter. Truly forgiving doesn't mean truly forgetting, but here's the good news. Are you ready for some good stuff? <laughs> some good news? <laughs> Sorry. Here's the good news. the God's in the heart healing business. All right, we're talking about hard stuff. We're talking about deep inside private stuff that nobody else knows about. But Our God is bigger than all of those hurts. Our God is bigger than all of that pain and resentment and hurt. And he is able to remove it today. I'll never forget the moment when I saw... God reached down and touched my dad, right? He's a heart specialist. <laughs> and he can specialize in your heart too. He knows the hurts. There's nothing about your life and your pain and your experience that that he doesn't know. You're, you're not going to surprise him by something in your story. He knows. He understands how much it hurts, but he simply as your his son or daughter want you to offer other people, the same thing that he offered you, right? A forgiveness that th- those people don't deserve. But it's our way of acting like our Father, right? He wants to touch us. And if the worship team can can make their way up this morning, in a couple of minutes I'm going to ask you to, to really just take a little bit of time in the presence of God and and. Look closely at your heart because that's where it begins, right? We can stay in denial and pretend like, oh, I, he. it's easy to look at other people's situation like, oh, yeah, he's got an anger problem. He really needed this message today. I'll be praying for him. But the truth is we've all got some of this, right, because we've all been hurt. We all know what it is to feel the pain of, of someone doing something to us, and we feel like, they owe us. They should feel pain, too, because I feel pain. But that's not how God works. God wants our hearts to function. <laughs> and not just barely. He doesn't want us on life support. But he wants us to flourish in our lives. He wants us to flourish in our relationship with him. He wants us to flourish in our relationship with others. He wants the people of our community and our homes and our neighborhoods to, to see a, a son and Daughter that has the family resemblance, right? When they see you and see the way you treat people, they want to say, "Oh man, there's something about them. They've, they've got to be a Christian, right?" That's what God wants from us. But you see, there's only one way that's going to happen. And it's that if, that if we to keep our hearts clean, right, that we remove all of those things, all of the hurts and pains, so that it can our spiritual heart can function normally. And here's the thing that I love about Jesus. He's not afraid of our pain. He's not afraid of our hurts. Sometimes we get embarrassed by our story and the the things that that we've gone through, even though they weren't our fault. We still get embarrassed. There's nothing about your story that Jesus is afraid to touch but he's also the kind of God that isn't gonna to touch us in those places, right? Until we say, God, I want you to touch me there. <laughs> we have to open up our hearts and say, God, this part of my heart hurts, but I want you to touch it. I want you to heal it, I want you to restore it, help me to truly be able to forgive. And it's as we experience that, that, that healing and truly are able to drop those offenses that we can truly be free and live the kind of lives that God wants us to live because he wants you to flourish. But it begins with saying, okay, God, (laughs) that hurt today. That was hard. It's hard to think about those things. It's hard to to, to think about my pain and my hurt. But That's where the, the healing begins. Otherwise, it just continues to fester and grow, and it eats at us from the inside out. Today he wants to start that healing process in your hearts. So would you stand with me this morning? And I'd just like to pray with you and then we're gonna sing a song and Pastor Allen's gonna come back up and close the service. And I would really just love to pray for you and pray for those that are watching on the live stream this morning. Because I've seen what God can do. I've experienced forgiveness, I'm so thankful that he did something for me that I will never deserve. And that's exactly what he, the gift that he wants us to give to the people that have hurt us. They don't, they don't deserve it, but neither did I. And he still loved me enough to give it to me. So can I pray for you this morning? Is that okay? Dearly Father, we're just so thankful for the opportunity to be here in your house today. And Lord, I pray for each and every person that's here in this place. And I I pray for my own heart, Lord. Lord, would you help us to take an honest look at our hearts. If there are areas in our hearts that have been clogged by hurt and pain, and it's formed bitterness and anger and resentment and all of these ugly things that have, have damaged my relationship with you, Lord, I pray that you'd give me the courage and the strength, Lord, to, to take an honest look at where my heart is. Lord, it help me to open it up to you so that you could touch it, that you could help me to be able to let go of those offenses and those hurts. Lord, that you would teach me and help me to learn how to truly forgive. Lord, just as you forgave me, I'm so thankful for your love, Lord. I'm so thankful that you love me enough to give your life for me. You you offered forgiveness in, in ways that I will never understand, that you could love me that much. Lord, would you touch my heart? Help me to love others the way you have loved me. And I pray for each and every one that's here and each and every person that's watching on the live stream right now, Lord, that you would touch our hearts. If there are areas that are hard to see, Lord, help us to see that your Holy Spirit would speak to our hearts and show us those people, those faces that we desperately need to forgive so that we can move on and be who you called us to be. Lord, most of all, would you restore our hearts, that you would set us free from the pain and bitterness Lord, that can corrupt our hearts. We love you, Lord. Thank you for the privilege of being here today. Lord, as, as we sing this song together, with your presence, Lord, just fill this place, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.